This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. Blake, we are one day past what is usually the busiest day of the year for us, National Signing Day. Not very busy this year, huh? No, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons to it. I think first and foremost, the early signing period, I think, takes a lot more of the hype out of, you know, the traditional February signing day. Just so many of those kids sign early, and I think that it just becomes that that's the new signing day. You know, that's the one that everyone gets excited for. I'm sure there's some kids that kind of hang over and wait out, wait things out in February, but it's just not the same as December. And, you know, obviously, secondly, for, you know, why it was a little bit slower is that Florida had, uh, you know, signed majority of their class in that uh, December early signing period. You know, some of those guys that didn't sign there, um, you know, I had said on the Swamp 24-7 message boards, you know, that anyone who doesn't sign early that, you know, doesn't do it, um, you know, as there's usually something wrong, you know, there's usually some reason why a guy committed to a program doesn't sign early. So, you know, a lot of those guys obviously have fallen out of the class. Um, you know, that made it even you know more quiet just because there weren't any uncommitted guys signing. Uh, Florida had a lot of spots tight, you know, guys like Terry on Arnold, Florida had started to kind of slowly back out of that one. Just in the simple fact of, you know, the, the sheer amount of underclassmen DBs they had in the class, you know, Mullen and, and his staff kind of talked things over and, and Mullen felt that um, at least what I was told that, you know, Mullen felt, that he was okay with the number of underclassmen guys just kind of balancing out the roster. You know, I, I'm not sure that I agree with that myself. Just, you know, five-star guy out there, man. Like, you know, that, that's a top-tier talent type of guy. But I think if you supplement in the fact that Florida was looking at the transfer portal with a, a lot of those leftover spots from the early signing period, you know, you're looking at guys like, you know, Daquan Newkirk, you know, guys that we'll get into later because I know you want to touch on some of those transfers. But, you know, and another guy we'll get into again is Eric Gilbert. You know, there's just a lot of dynamics there that Florida chose those guys that can either be, you know, sort of gap fillers as – you know, maybe a guy with one year or maybe a couple years left. And then you've got a, you know, top tier guy like Eric Gilbert, who, you know, in their eyes, you know, they needed someone that was, you know, more of a dynamic Kyle Pitts type of tight end as opposed to another defensive back. So, you know, overall, just the, you know, the number of guys there, just it made for a slow signing day, which, you know, I'm sure a lot of fans weren't happy about, you know, obviously, but man, it was nice not to be like, you know, wound up and crazy. Usually on signing day, it's like, you know, it's like the best worst day of your life, you know? I didn't have to stock up on Red Bull for this one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I woke up and it was kind of just like, yeah, it's just Wednesday. And I, I don't think all national signing days are going to be like that going forward. Sure. But I think, you know, this year, I do think it says a lot about how Florida felt about the bulk of its class that it had already locked up. Like, I wanted to ask you about this class now that we know it's kind of final. Um, I guess, first off, where do you see the strengths being in this group? I mean, obviously, you've got a five-star cornerback like Jason Marshall, um, but you look at it on paper – uh, just the number 13 class in the country, number five in the SEC, maybe a little bit underwhelming by those metrics. And again, we'll talk about it in the second half of the show about how Florida's kind of supplemented that with, you know, really strong work in the transfer portal. But I guess what is the strength of this class if you had to circle them? 
You know, defense for sure, because you look at the class from top to bottom. I mean, Florida really hit a lot of needs on defense as a whole. Heavy defensive line, hit some guys at that linebacker spot, heavy safety, you know, getting a guy like you mentioned in five-star Jason Marshall, who is a guy that, you know, he's, he's going to come in and he's going to make somewhat of an impact in some capacity in his first year there. But, you know, just looking from top to bottom, man, defense. I mean, they, I think Mullet even said it after his, you know, early signing day uh, press conference that, I mean, they kind of signed a full 11 starting defense, so to say, in their class. And if you look from top to bottom, they definitely did. But, you know, if I had to pick one specific strength that really jumps out to me, um, well, even – probably some others too. I think first and foremost, the defensive line. I think when you look at it, getting a guy like Desmond Watson, who yes, needs to reshape his body, but he's just a different type of dynamic that they bring to that defensive line being a six foot five, 380 pound type of guy. I mean, he's definitely a zero one type of guy. And that's just not something that Florida's really got a lot of, you know, I think when you look at how Kyrie Campbell and, you know, to Daryl Slayton, you know, whenever they didn't have Campbell and, you know, they had guys out of space and out of spot, the defense just didn't seem to click the same. So I think getting some of those guys with that size that can push the pocket. And, you know, like I said, he needs to reshape his body. But I, for a big guy, man, I mean, he sure, there's some plays where, he, you know, he looks like he needs to, you know, lose some weight and shape things up. But there's some plays where, I mean, you're like, man, the big a guy like that really moved that big, you know, or moved that quick that big. So he does have some of those flashing moments to where it, you know, if Nick Savage can get his hands on him and they can kind of trim him down some, I think he's going to be a guy long-term that's really impressive to me. Justice Boone, another guy there at that defensive end spot who I think, um, you know, 24-7 sports actually has him rated higher on their own rankings compared to the composite. So that just shows you what a lot of those guys there on that ranking council think of him. But those are two guys that Florida got in as early enrollees. So, you know, top to bottom, you know, those are the guys that – those freshmen, you know, it's, it's hard to be a freshman and start or play early in the SEC or, you know, really anywhere. But if you get in as an early enrollee, that's usually the guys that kind of trek higher that can, you know, get those upticks. And then you get the spring, you get a chance to just get more acclimated with everything. Um, you know, Florida signed him. Christopher Thomas is another guy that enrolled early as well. Um, a guy that I think that if he can continue to fill out a little bit more, and I say that because he's not small and I don't mean he's undersized. But he just has a, a shape, just the way he's built, he just looks a little bit more long, I guess, so to say. He seems like more of one of those mover type of defensive linemen. If he can add some size and kind of fill out, continue to fill out even more and keep that same way he moves, I think he's another guy that could outplay his ranking down the line. Um, you know, safety is another spot that I think was a really impressive part of the class. Um, you know, having those guys in there early, um, like Donovan McMillan, uh, Corey uh, Corey Collier, excuse me, yes, Corey Collier, another guy that they got in there early as well. Um, safety, you know, they they got some guys like trading coming back, you know, but they lost a lot of those guys that really played a lot. Sean Davis, you know, Donovan Steiner, guys like that that um, you know did struggle last year. But Florida's going to be young there, and those are guys that I think again being early enrollees. Dakota Mitchell, another guy who will be there in the summer. Um, but yeah, you know, linebacker too, Dewan Black, you know, a guy that I think is a really big time player, uh, for, you know, number one overall JUCO player. Um, I think there's a lot to say about him. I think he's a guy that can also come in and make an impact. Um, I, I think he's a big time guy that Florida added for sure. Blake, let me switch then and ask you, um, and you can, you can answer this question kind of any way you want, uh, whether it be recruiting in a certain area or a certain position. Uh, was there any part of this class where you were maybe a little bit disappointed and thought Florida could have done a little better? Uh, you know, top to bottom, you know, when you look at that, um, I would say probably offensive line, but I think that in general, um, 
Florida just has, I mean, John Hevesy is a really good coach. I just don't know that he's, his strength is recruiting. I think that when you look at those classes and you look at what Florida got, sure, Joshua Braun, I think, is a guy that was really good that Florida got last year. They've landed some guys that have those four-star guys. You know, even a guy like Austin Barber this year that Florida just signed, he's a four-star guy on 24-7 sports himself. So, you know, he does get those four-star type of guys. But I think top to bottom, Florida would just like to see, you know, an elite offensive lineman or at least, a, you know, a really highly ranked offensive lineman that can come in and, you know, continue to build under him, who's a very good developer, a very good coach, very good at fundamentals. A lot of good things that he does on the field with his guys. But I think when you just look at the class, I think that's probably one of the ones that jump out as being underwhelming. Yeah. Um, you know, we've talked about, I think, you know, I think the, the biggest difference for Florida in terms of getting that, that national ranking a little closer to the Alabamas, the Georgias, the LSUs is exactly what you said. You know, you'd just like to see one or two more, maybe two to three more of those really, truly you know, top 100 blue chip types. And I think that continues to be an area where this staff hasn't necessarily done a good job. And so, uh, yeah. And you know, another one too, that really kind of looks when you look at just what could have been in the state of Florida with 2021 being a really highly ranked loaded state of Florida wide receiver class. You know, I really like Marcus Burke. I really like a lot of what he brings to the table. He's a state champion this past year. Um, I really like him a lot as a player. Um, I, I like what, uh, their other uh, wide receiver signee that, that he was also an early enrollee um, in uh, Dejon Reynolds. I, I don't know that he's quite the burner, but he's a productive guy that caught a lot of balls his junior year. He was hurt in his senior year. So I think that that made it, uh, you know, you, you just, you don't know, like, I mean, any injury, you don't know what a guy's going to come back if he's going to do the same things he did. You know, I don't know that, you know, injuries are quite the same thing now with just the way medicine and, you know, technology is now that really kind of helps those guys back a lot. You know, but I think when you just look at the big picture of what could have been at wide receiver for Florida with just so many guys in their backyard, I think there is some disappointment there. But again, I do like what Burke brings to the table. And I mean that in the wide receiver class, I think it's a little disappointing there as well. Yeah, that just seems it seems to kind of be the theme to me for for recruiting under Dan Mullen is it's not, you know, there's a lot of things you can talk yourself into liking and there's a lot to like legitimately. There's a lot to like. Like you said, I think Burke and Reynolds are very, very talented prospects. But like you said, when you look at the overall picture and kind of what you had available in the state, you'd like to see a little bit more. Like I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, one of the fun things I like to do uh, with recruiting, and, and I know that you follow these guys a lot closer, you know them as high school prospects. Uh, a good deal in terms of watching them play who's a sleeper to you in this class because I know that's always a, a fun question that you know we'll even ask Dan Mullen usually when he has his national signing day press conferences which unfortunately we didn't have this year because Florida didn't take anybody uh, who's the guy that you know people probably aren't talking about right now but they might be in two three years you know I, like I mentioned Austin Barber I think when you look at his senior year I think he's a type of guy like that. But again, I mean, 24-7 sports just made him a four-star player. So I don't know that you really got a sleeper four-star guy, even if he is, you know, a 90, maybe not a top two, four, seven type of guy. To me, man, I think it's Jalen Kitna. I really like what he brings. And I'm talking about the three-star quarterback out of Texas. You know, he's got He's a son of NFL, former NFL uh, quarterback, John Kitna. So he has those NFL bloodlines. Doesn't always translate from father to son. But I mean, he went from being, I think, somewhere around like 6'1", one I don't know like maybe like 170 something like that in his junior year didn't have really great stats there but I mean he shot up like from his senior year I've never seen a guy that really went from that to 6'4 200 pounds you know 190 something pounds so he continued to kind of build out and you could see junior to senior year his tape was so much different I think that you know whenever you have those guys if you're going to sign a guy that's a lowly rated type of guy you want to see those guys that have that junior to senior film jump to where they just they're on the right track like a guy like Austin Barber junior to senior film was a jump those are the type of guys you want to get and I think when you look at his film he does a lot of things 
that I really like. I think he's got a strong arm. I think he's smart with the football. I think that you can tell that he's a coach's son type of guy that's going to sit there in the film room. He's going to study things. So, you know, you like that from a quarterback from the mental part of the game. He does seem to be kind of a gunslinger, wants to force some things in there, has some picks here and there, had you know really bad touchdown to interception line there his junior year. Much more improved as a senior, not saying that you know that didn't fix, but you could just tell he does try to force some things. But I mean you've got Dan Mullen there, who's you know one of the better quarterback coaches, quarterback minds in, in you know college football. So I think that it's an interesting guy there when you look at his frame and you know just kind of the you just see a lot of what ifs with there. You know, I think that Mullen, if he can get in there and tweak some things, I think he really kind of counts to me as the biggest sleeper in the class. Okay, Blake. Well, we're going to take a quick break. I want to talk more about kind of this overall recruiting philosophy uh, because it seems to be kind of the key topic, you know, especially coming off national signing day where Florida finishes ranked number 13, maybe a little disappointment in the fan base. I want to talk about that kind of in the bigger picture on the other side of this break. So we'll be right back. eBay motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. Blake, we're talking a little bit of Florida football recruiting. Obviously, you know, probably not the strongest results so far under Dan Mullen. I think when he came in, you know, that was kind of the, the, the book on him, you know, that, that Florida maybe wouldn't have elite recruiting, but he's a strong developer of talent, obviously a very good game day coach and, and kind of would his recruiting be good enough to get Florida over the hump to potentially win SEC titles and eventually compete for national championships. I think so far we're, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think this is about what we expected more or less. You know, I think so. And I think whenever you look at a guy like Mullen, he's a coach that does more with less. I know that Florida fans want to go get those elite talents. You know, they want to get back to those Urban Meyer type signing classes and those national championships, even Steve Spurrier type of guys, you know, that win and can recruit well too. Um, You know, I think that, you know, I still stand that I think Florida a little bit, maybe not this year because I think there was a dip and I do think that they're very much a staff that's better with guys in person. And I think COVID did hurt them there. Um, sure, we'll continue to see if that changes down the road, you know, or if this was just a bump in the road. I do think that recruiting has gotten better, but I do think there was a little bit of a dip this year. And I think it was kind of just a weird year for everybody. Um, you know, certainly not for a class like Alabama, but I mean, they recruit on a national level. So I think it's apples to oranges there. Um, but, you know, I, 
I do think that this is much what we expected. You know, Mullen came in as being one of those guys that's a developer, a game day type of guy. And I mean, that's what we're seeing. Florida's winning games, maybe not getting the recruiting that what fans would like, or maybe not enough to, you know, cross that hump of getting to those Bama's and, you know, the LSU's and the Georgia's and types like that. But, you know, I mean, so far he's done pretty well at Florida, but I think this is the year where people really see, because you're going to start seeing some of those guys that he started to recruit, some of those guys he's been developing that he signed, you know, that he, he went out and chose himself. So um, I think this is the year where a lot of fans are going to have eyes on that. Yeah, no doubt. And Blake, I, I just did a, um, a hit on a national podcast with Trey Scott, one of our national guys, uh, about the transfer portal. And Florida obviously uh, didn't sign anybody new yesterday, but they did announce four transfers. They're going to have another two coming in in the spring. Uh, you know, you mentioned one of them, five-star, former five-star LSU tight end. I never know how to say his name, Eric Gilbert. Um, he's coming in. So Florida has really done a great job adding via the transfer portal. I think that's now five former five-star prospects that Florida has added through the transfer portal. And those don't get considered in the recruiting rankings. And um, I think it's important to have a discussion about how Florida is building its rosters under Dan Mullen, because really ultimately that's the end goal is to build a roster that can go compete. And traditionally that's been via recruiting. You know, you sign four or five recruiting classes, depending on how guys redshirt that, you know, over time that builds your roster. Well, now you have a completely different factor in that the transfer portal not only has become much more popular, but where it used to be just graduate transfers that could come in and make an immediate impact. All of a sudden now you're expecting that anybody this cycle can come in. And it seems like, you know, even without that, it seems like over the last few years, waivers have been easier to come by as the NCAA is fighting a bunch of different legal battles on name, image, likeness, that kind of thing. So I think it's important to talk about how, how Dan Mullen and his staff have used the transfer portal. And I go back to even at Mississippi State, Mullen didn't necessarily use the transfer portal as much, but Mississippi State had a lot of success combing the JUCO ranks and finding guys that could come in and be plug and play. Like I would make the case that, and, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, because it sounds like when Florida went into signing day, they, they opted to hold some of the spots for – guys that maybe they could have taken a Terry and Arnold if they had wanted to, but opted instead to hold those spots and go after guys that can make an immediate impact on the field in 2021. Is that, I mean, is that, do you, I guess what I'm asking is, do you believe that's a core part of Dan Mullen's strategy and kind of has been since he arrived? You know, I definitely think so. And I think you really hit the nail on the head with Mullen is used to, you know, having those Mississippi Juco's back there and getting a lot of those guys to continue to kind of balance things out. And I think in general, <clears throat> the way that the transfer portal is really, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's popping, man. There's guys jumping in and out of that thing. It's, it seems like it's picked up more and more as, you know, it's become a thing. Um, you know, sure, you can save spots for talented guys like Arik Gilbert whenever you have, you know, Kyle Pitts leaving. I mean, that one makes a lot of sense. And I think that that's the year where you really need to cash on, you know, having a player like that just won the Mac. He just did this. Look what he did. It's just so fresh. So I think that that's what makes it easy to sell that for a guy like him. Um, but, you know, when you look at just the way the, the roster has balanced out, I think it's good for Mullen in the simple fact of this year. We just Whenever Sal Sanceri was here at Florida, he just didn't get those guys early on in that defensive line classes. You know, they were really, you know, I think one, two guys, one of them is that, you know, transferred out of the program. So, you know, Jalen Humphreys is the one guy who's still there that he signed that just really hasn't made that impact yet. So Florida has had to compensate that since David Turner's got here and signed these heavy defensive line classes. I mean, he did it in 20, uh, 2020, he did it in 2021 this past year, but they were still saving spots for 
for some of those guys that can make an impact in the trenches, especially on the defensive line. And you get a guy like Daquan Newkirk, you get Antonio Shelton, Daquan Newkirk for, for coming up with that graduate transfer year from Auburn, and Antonio Shelton, the same graduate type of guy from Penn State. But those are guys now that you have in that have legitimate playing experience that you can continue to bring along the Jervon Dexters, the Jalen Lees, um, the Lamar Goods, you know, even some of those guys that you signed in this past cycle, if you, if you can find a way to get them in there, maybe if there's an early enrollee that, you know, you can get in the rotation in some sense. But Florida was going to be really young this year. So I think it's good in their sense of if you're going to have those gap spots, you can have, a, you know, you can save a spot for a guy that you can get in there and make an immediate impact like an Antonio Shelton, like a Taquan Newkirk, who's going to let you continue to bring along those guys that you recruited. So, you know, do I think they're going to continue to save some spots in the portal every year? I do. I think every school in the country is starting to do that too as well. Maybe not some as aggressively as others, but I think when you just see how many guys that are going into that transfer portal, you know, the NCAA is even talking about having it in general for a one-time, you know, grace-free transfer. So I think you're going to have so many guys that, you know, through the recruiting process, you see how many of these guys continue to change their mind as recruits you get in there in a program maybe a year maybe two years and it's just not what you thought it was you're not getting the playing time it just doesn't do this your position coach left you know I mean it could be a lot of different things so I think if you have that one transfer in your pocket I think you're going to continue to see guys continue to go in and out of the transfer portal so I think it's smart in general too if you can get an immediate impact guy or you know maybe a guy that's a former four-star five-star type of guy that just isn't getting the playing time. Maybe it's just not the right setting. If you can get those guys, I mean, look at a guy like Brenton Cox. You know, yes, he was playing at Georgia, you know, but he left there and he still is, you know, a guy that was a highly rated guy that's coming in and making an impact at Florida. So, you know, even Demarcus Bowman, you know, you can't tell me Demarcus Bowman wasn't a good player. Sure, he had Travis, uh, Travis Etienne in front of him, you know, some other guys there. But, I mean, he's a guy that was going to continue to be a big-time player at Clemson. So now Florida's got him there. So, I mean, there's just ways if you can get guys like that, I think that Mullen has done a really good job getting quality players like that. Justin Shorter, Eric Gilbert, Demarcus Bowman, Brenton Cox. I mean, you know, even Jonathan Grenard, who wasn't a five-star type of player, but he's a guy that was productive. So I think that that's just continues to, it kind of compensates that Juco, maybe not a two-year guy, but you have a one-year guy or, you know, I mean, it just depends on what it is. But I think that that's kind of Mullen's new niche of, you know, kind of counting on those junior college guys that he could at Mississippi State, that you can't really do that at Florida because, I mean, it's hard to get Juco's in there consistently at Florida with just how strict the admission is so you know if you got a guy that can qualify from the transfer portal it's it's maybe not the same thing like I said with two years to one year but it's something on that track yeah and I'm not I'm not using this as kind of an excuse for poor recruiting I, I think Florida needs to recruit better I don't think there's any doubt about it uh, because using the transfer portal to supplement recruiting is not mutually exclusive with sure. recruiting really and well. it may not be sustainable either Right. And that's the other thing is, you know, I think as much credit as we give Dan Mullen for having executed in the transfer portal very well, you know, it's not every year and Eric Gilbert's going to be out there, you know, right. or some of these guys where you're patching holes. But I do think it's been a very targeted approach by Mullen to kind of bring in guys as you figure out spots that are going to be weaknesses on your roster. Maybe that's due to an unexpected departure, you know, an unexpected medical hardship by a player, whatever the case Coaches go into a season thinking one thing and often come out realizing they're weaker in one spot than they thought they were going to be. And those kind of weaknesses that show up in your team as you learn about your team throughout the course of the year are much harder to shore up via high school recruiting, at least in the immediate term, right? And I think allowing part of your recruiting strategy or philosophy to be, you know, maybe we save three to four spots for transfers every year to shore up immediate weaknesses is actually pretty smart. And I think that can get lost a little bit when people focus on, you know, the ranking next to Florida's name of number 13 in the country, number five in the SEC. 
Now, I, again, I am not defending the fact that Florida's recruiting should be better. I'm not, I'm not making an excuse for that. But I do think it's important to at least talk about the overall roster building because transfers have been a big part of it. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at what Trayvon Grimes, Adam Schuler, Van Jefferson, all these guys have done. Uh, the list of transfers into Florida has been really productive. And, I mean, these are guys that are making major impacts, sometimes for multiple years, in a way that really, I think, has allowed Florida to be more consistent in a sense. I mean, what happens if Florida doesn't have Jonathan Grenard when Ja'Kai Polite leaves? Um, you know, you're not going to have a high school guy that steps in and produces at that level. So I think in some ways we need to kind of take that into context when talking about Florida's recruiting. I absolutely think that Florida can recruit better, and we've talked about it uh, at length on this show in the past. Florida's got to win more battles when, when they're going head-to-head for a top 100 prospect against an Alabama, a Clemson, a Georgia. You know, are they ever going to recruit fully on that level where you expect to see them in the top five every year? Probably not. You know, I, I actually think, you know, Florida being in the top five in recruiting would be more of a surprise than, than you, know, um, you know, than not at this point. But uh, I, I do think, Blake, we'll talk about it a little bit here too. Uh, I know that we haven't – I don't think we've gotten to the last staff hire – uh, with Brian Johnson leaving, but Florida went ahead and elevated analyst Garrick McGee to the staff. So I, I do want to get your take on that, but I, I think from a, from a bigger picture standpoint, I, I just think Florida needs to recruit better. And until it does, you're going to have to rely on the transfers. And I think what's, what's frustrating for fans is that you're at Florida. You shouldn't have to rely on transfers to, to kind of fill these patchwork holes on your roster. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that everyone knows that they need to recruit better. But, you know, I think if you're talking about Garrick McGee as a recruiter and you look at Brian Johnson, who I think is, I, if not one of Florida's better recruiters, he was one of their best. So I think that, uh, you know, the trade there off there, I don't know that Garrick McGee, I, I mean, I, I doubt it. He's going to be that same type of recruiter of what Brian Johnson did. I haven't seen enough of a sample size. He, you know, he's been an analyst. Um, you know, he was, I think, at Missouri before he was at Florida as an analyst. So, I mean, there's been some gaps there. Um, you know, I don't know that he's shown by the body of work, you know, that he's really been some big-time recruiter either. But, I mean, Louisville, you know, Illinois, you know, those aren't like, you know, national recruiting juggernauts either. So, you know, could he be here at Florida with a certain brand having that logo? Could he sell certain things? You know, I'm always one that I wait and see how they are once they're a little bit more into the job as far as how they're going to be a good recruiter. But I think overall, I think you've got a guy that's a quarterback coach that's been an offensive coordinator. He's coached different positions. I think that it's cool that he, you know, has coached wide receivers and he kind of knows just more of the offense as a, you know, as a big picture. So he can kind of relate that to those quarterbacks. He's been a head coach. Mind you, that didn't go very good for him, but you know, that was at UAB um, who, you know, you know, they're, they're maybe on the right track now, but you know, they haven't been good since I've ever seen them ever play. So um, I don't know that the expectations can be held there, but you know, I'm interested to see, I, I think he's a guy that when you look at the quarterbacks in general, I mean, you think Dan Mullen first, when you think quarterbacks at Florida, you know, I think it's good to have someone there that he can bounce things off of. That's been an offense coordinator. You know, I don't know how well he understands the game, but I would think that if he's been an offense coordinator that he certainly does. So, you know, I don't know that he's going to be a big time recruiter. I'll wait and see how that goes. But I think if you look at what you have to replace in Brian Johnson, you know, that's a big gap to fill down there in Dade County, but Florida's going to move Tim Brewster down there in Dade County to recruit down there. So I think that you are getting a big time recruiter down there in an area that produces a lot of guys. But, you know, I'm not sure where they'll put Garrick McGee yet into the state of Florida as far as, you know, where his area will be or anything like that. But I'm interested to see either way just to kind of, you know, give him some time in there. You know, he's offered some new quarterbacks to kind 
kind of reshuffling up the board. Uh, they offered uh, four-star uh, Sam uh, Horn uh, the other day, and they offered, I believe it's Nick Evers, another guy, a three-star guy out of Texas the other day too. So, I mean, they're putting some new names on the board. I think when you look at the film and the stats, those are guys that have also been productive. And it also seems that Florida's kind of trending away. Maybe this cycle, I don't know if it's going to be a year-to-year thing, but more of those true pro-style type of passers maybe not an athlete that you know is kind of raw in the passing game coming out of high school but a really dynamic athlete that seems to kind of been the game that Florida has recruited so far you know since they've been there at quarterback so it does seem like he's going for a little bit more polished passers you know not guys that are statues back there you know they're a little bit more of being willing runners but uh, you know I'm interested to see how he's going to fare this cycle yeah that I mean that's interesting because you know obviously as productive as Kyle Trask was and as much as the game seems to be shifting to passing it's interesting that they, they seem to be shifting because, I mean, you talked about, you know, Anthony Richardson was obviously, you know, kind of the epitome of that, uh, a super raw. Athlete. So it was Emory Jones. Emory Jones, Emory Jones well, was the same you way. Know, you, you don't know what you're going to get out of them as passers. Carlos but, Del Rio was, I mean, he had a much better senior year, but I mean, that junior, you could tell he was one of those big athletes that was still pretty raw in the passing game. So, yeah. um, you know, it certainly seems like it's going to be a different dynamic, at least this cycle. Yeah, no, that'll, that'll be interesting to follow for sure. I, I do think, uh, at least for me on paper. And again, I, I know, you know, I hate to, I hate to, to put down the staff hires or anything like that. Cause again, we don't know until we see them get out there and, and start working at Florida recruiting guys. But I think on paper from a recruiting standpoint, at least it seems a little bit underwhelming, I think. And when you look at, you know, some of the hires that Miami made in terms of bringing in some really, really dynamic recruiters. Um, I, I think Florida fans are, you know, well within their rights to, to be a little bit disappointed by how the offseason staff hires went. Um, but again, I, you know, it's a question of whether or not you trust Dan Mullen. And uh, to that end, I think, you know, Dan Mullen has proven that he's very good X's and O's. And again, that's where, you know, we keep coming back full circle to, will they have the talent, you know, to be able to get more out of less, you know, and, and at what point is the, you know, the talent up to par where, you know, Dan Mullen can use his, you know, what we believe is superior game day coaching to kind of take you over the edge, get to the next level. I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, I, I think the loss of Brian Johnson obviously stings. Uh, but I do think, you know, I mean, look, Nick Saban has the same model where, you know, you bring in analysts and then you're, you're ready. They, they kind of, you know what you're getting out of them. They know what, you know, the offense is at that point. And I think there's something to be said for continuity. So we'll see how Florida does in terms of, you know, the recruiting going forward. I think, I do think it's important to note that, you know, even though Florida's class is ranked number 13, they've done a terrific job in the transfer portal. I mean, they've really, they've got some dynamic guys that can come in and shore up some spots of need. You talked about defensive tackle. You talked about some of the skill players they're bringing in. I think and a in kicker. context and a kicker. Uh, I think in context, when you, you put all that together, um, is Florida where you would like them to be? Probably not, but they're probably not as far off as it looks on paper either. So. No doubt. All right, Blake. Well, that's going to do it for us today. A little bit of a shorter show, but, uh, you know, with Florida not really signing anybody on National Signing Day, we really just didn't have as much to talk about as we normally would. That's going to do it for us today on the uh, Swamp 24-7 podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 